head back to room six at this time. We are in uh, the book of Hebrews in a series called Anchor. And on July 9th, 1960, there is a middle-aged man by the name of James from Buffalo, New York, that took a couple family friends, a 17-year-old named Deanne and a 7-year-old named Roger, for a boat ride on the Niagara River. Set out in a little 12-foot aluminum skiff with a seven-and-a-half uh, horsepower Evinrude outboard motor set out out on the river and they were having a, a great time. For some reason, he decided to shut off the motor and just kind of enjoy the peace and quiet, whether it was uh, because he, he just wanted to just kind of take in the, the natural sights and sounds of the surrounding, whether he wanted to be able to have a, a little bit more of a quiet time to be able to talk uh, with Deanne and Roger and, and hear from them. We don't really know, other than at some point, he found himself crossing a bridge that is in that area, the, the known marker for saying, watch out, you're getting close to the Horseshoe Falls, the Niagara Falls. And so frantically, he got the motor running and like, okay, I'll just steer it back out. But he hit a rock or something happened to the propeller and lost power. The boat ended up capsizing and all three of them were tossed from the vessel. Thankfully, Deanne was able to make it to shore before the falls, was able to grab onto something and in a relatively short time, probably didn't feel like to her, but in a relatively short time, was able to be dragged to shore, brought to shore by a couple tourists. Roger and James did not make it to shore. They went over the falls. By God's grace and mercy, Roger, who was smaller and that may have had something to do with it, was thrown out farther away from the falls and so didn't have the full force of the falls taking him down to the rocks. And, but scooted him out a little ways. He went under. Thankfully, his mom had told him that the only way he could go on the boat is if he wore a life jacket. And he fought against the urge to take that life jacket off kept it on, and that life jacket helped bob him back up to surface, where some people that were on the Maid of the Mist saw him, and they were able to go over and rescue him. Several years later, he returned to the Niagara Falls and shared about how God had rescued him physically that day to later on rescue him spiritually in a, in a very powerful testimony. James, however, the adult, the driver of the boat, the owner of the boat, did not make it to shore, did not bob up to the surface to be rescued by the maid of mist, Four days later, after the event, 
on July 13, 1960, they would find his body. And it serves as a sobering reminder of the danger of drift and what can happen and how quickly life can be turned upside down if we don't avoid the drift. And that's what the Hebrew writer really wants the reader, the hearer, to understand, to take to heart as we turn into Hebrews chapter 2. Love for you to turn there if you brought your Bible today. If you uh, don't have a Bible, I'd invite you to grab one from there in front of you. It's page 846. Love for you to be able to follow along. We're only going to take a look at four verses today. Last week, we jumped into the series. I gave an introduction, talked a little bit about the author and who it was written to and, and some other things, and then we, we covered the whole chapter one. Today, I only want to look at four verses. I, I want these verses to, to really capture your heart and your mind today. And we're going to look to answer two questions. First question that we're going to look to answer is, why do we need to avoid the drift? We've kind of gotten a drift, if you will, of why we need to avoid the drift. A, a, a little bit of an idea, but, but the Hebrew writer is going to go into more detail why we need to avoid the drift. And we, we all have a tendency, right, to drift in life. We, we drift physically. In our, in our fitness. How, how many of you know it can be easy to drift physically? You like start off and you're, you're exercising and, and you're, you're trying to eat better and everything, but then you start to drift. Anybody ever experienced that? And some of you, you like, like, like me, I don't even have to raise my hand because like, hello, just look at me. Like, <laughs> okay, but, but there's other drift, right? There's drifts relationally. In marriage, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've experienced drift in marriage or drift in relationship, but it can be easy to experience drift in relationship, and, and we see the results of if we drift in relationship, what can happen as a result of that? But the Hebrew writer wants us to be aware of the, the most important drift, the most significant area of our life, and the area that we must avoid the drift in the most, spiritual drift. Verse 1 of chapter 2, the book of Hebrews. Catch the words that he uses here. We must, what does must indicate? Like, no options, right? Like, it's imperative. It's very important. We must pay the most careful. So not, not just be careful, but be the most careful. Attention. Therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. So therefore, when we've kind of heard, and maybe if you've, at least if you've been around Kingston Wesleyan Church very long, you've heard at some point me say that when you see a therefore, you have to go back to see what the therefore is there for. 
Well, we just looked at chapter 1, and and we're not going to really go back, but basically, he's been building a case on how Jesus is greater. Chapter 1, and then these four verses that we're looking at today, they are the introduction of the book of Hebrews, and his premise, what he wants people to know, he wants the hearer to know two things. Jesus is greater, keep the faith. He's writing to a group of Jews that are under persecution. And there's a risk of them walking away from the faith. There's a risk of them saying, this isn't worth it. And he wants them to see that it is totally, totally worth it. Keep the faith. Jesus is greater. And so he uses the word, do not drift away. And it's easy to see that drift gives us, again, the idea, much like the illustration that I began with, of of a boat, of some kind of a boat, whether it's a 12-foot boat or or a yacht, but, but some kind of vessel out on the water and the tendency to drift if you're not intentional to avoid the drift. What is missed in translation is that there's another word that the Hebrews would have understood had a nautical term or a a nautical application as well. That it also was something that would have been used for those that especially were were out at sea. Maybe not so much a river, but certainly on a larger body of water, this this attention. And I like how one Bible scholar has captured verse 1. He says it this way, therefore we must pay the more eagerly anchor our lives to the things that uh, we, therefore we must the more eagerly anchor our lives to the things that we have been taught, lest the ship of life drift past the harbor and be wrecked. We've got to anchor so that we don't drift. I I love how he's worded this. The word picture that we have here, I think, is very helpful. I also like that he used a word that is the title of our series, and so it drives it home even more. The idea is to avoid drift, and the wreck that follows, we need to anchor in Jesus. We see throughout Verse 1, a warning. It doesn't say anything about the potential of wrecking our life, but it's implied. It's clear. We must pay the most careful attention. There's this like flashing lights, caution, right? Watch yourself before you wreck yourself. Don't drift. Be on guard. Don't let, don't let your, your guard down, right? And so we have this warning, much like much like a, another verse in Scripture, another passage in Scripture. But why? Why do we need to avoid the drift? He continues. So, or for, since this, the message spoken through the angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment. So he's actually taking us back to chapter 1, where he began talking about angels and he compared and contrasted 
angels and Jesus. Angels we saw last week are messengers. And they had a specific message that he is referring to here. It's found in Acts chapter 7, verse 38, and Galatians 3, verse 19. Both accounts tell us a message that the angels had. The message that he's referring to here, the writer of the, the book of Hebrews is referring to, is the message that the angels gave to Moses on Mount Sinai, the old covenant, the law, that God used angels to deliver that. That's what we see in Acts chapter 7, verse 38, and that's what we see in Galatians chapter 3, verse 19, and that's what he's referring to here. If they received, if in the Old Testament, Moses and the rest of the Jews received the message, the old covenant through the angels, God's messengers, if they received it and that message was binding, another way to understand that is covenant. A covenant is a binding agreement. And because that message was binding, that covenant, if there was a break in that covenant, then there are repercussions. There is punishment. And so he's pointing back and saying, if we look at the Old Testament, we look, he's speaking to Jews, and the Jews know their history very well. And they know that Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt. God provided a miracle. They crossed the Red Sea. But Moses and the majority of the Israelites did not get to enter the promised land. Why? Because they didn't hold up their end of the covenant. Because they violated and disobeyed the agreement. And so there was punishment. And so the author to Hebrews is saying, Jesus is greater than the angels. The angels had a message from God. God expected those that received that message to uphold, by, to uphold and live by that message. They had an agreement. They had a covenant. They didn't do that. And there is fallout because of that. Their lives became wrecked because they disobeyed. They walked away from the covenant of God. And so he's presenting an argument. And he's starting with the angels. The angels' message was binding. And if the angels' message is binding, guess what? How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. If the message from the angels was binding, how much more so the message that comes directly from the second member of the Trinity, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. The old covenant God upheld. And those that violated it faced punishment. The Hebrew writer is putting out, there's a new covenant. The new covenant is greater than the old covenant because the old covenant came 
through the message of angels, the new covenant through Jesus Christ himself. God himself has spoken. If he held people to the old covenant, don't you think he's going to hold people to the new covenant? How, how can we pass, how can we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? There's a warning here. It's a rhetorical question, but it's meant to, to say you really need to think about your options here. And so he continues, verse 4. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Not only did we have Jesus saying who he is, and here's the message, this is the way to salvation. We, we see Jesus confirming that he is who he says he is by what he did, his miracles. The, the deaf hear, the blind see, the lame walk again, the, the dead are raised to life. You can check all the boxes to say the new covenant is the real deal, that Jesus is who he says he is. No doubt about it. And not only did we have what Jesus did as he walked on earth, but the Holy Spirit, what we see in the book of Acts. And so the Hebrew writer said, look at all this evidence that points us back to, to confirming and affirming that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. So why do we need to avoid the drift? Because not being anchored to Jesus leads to wrecking your life. Not being anchored to Jesus leads to wrecking your life. That's what the writer to the Hebrews desperately wants them to know. He's warning them. Like, don't drift. There aren't any other options. Jesus is it. And it's been very, made very clear that Jesus is the only way. And you've got to stay anchored in him. Stay anchored in him. So how do we avoid the drift? Well, we stay anchored in him. That's the second question. Like, why should we avoid the drift? Because if we don't stay anchored to Jesus, we wreck our life. But how do we stay anchored to Jesus? We press in more on that. So let's go back to verse 1. Because in these four verses, the Hebrew writer has not only told us why we need to avoid the drift, he's told us how to avoid the drift. Verse 1, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. So, uh, on the, the grand scheme of things, what he's talking about is, is pointing back, actually, to chapter 1, where he says, the message has come from the Lord. Before we heard from the prophets, he also talked about the angels, but now we've heard from the Lord. We've heard from the Son, okay? What I want us to see is a personal application, is that we need to read and heed 
the Word of God. We stay anchored, we avoid the drift by reading and heeding the Word of God. Quick question, how many of you got like mail or email or a text or like a direct message this week? How many of you got at least one of those? Some form of mail or email or a text or a direct message? Probably all of us. How many of you got like a, a piece of mail or, or some email or a text or a direct message from more than one person or group or individual, right? Okay. Here's what I know. You didn't pay the same attention to every piece of mail as you did to, to, to one, right? Like, you didn't give all of them the same attention. The post office knows that you don't because they've got a recycle bin right there in the lobby. Because they know not all mail is created equal. They know you're not going to all read the, the same, you know, every piece of mail with the same intensity. You're not going to read every single piece of mail with the same attention. They know that. They know that there's going to be some mail that you just look who sent it and you go, trash. Okay? And I know that there is some mail that you get that you're just going to kind of skim. It's not gonna. It's not something you're just gonna throw away, but you're gonna. You're not gonna read it like with bated breath, right? But then there's probably some mail that you open that, and you read it, and then you read it again, and then you read it again. Is it true? And probably the same with email. There's some email and. Google's picked up on it like you don't open these, and so they just know to automatically send it to your spam folder or your junk folder. Like, it just kind of even happens automatic. Or, or you don't open it. You just know, I'm not going to read that. I'm not going to read that. Okay? Um, my, my mailbox is, it gets full of stuff like that. Not going to read it, not going to read it, not going to read it, not going to read it. Don't, don't ever even open it. But then there's some stuff that I'm going to open and I'm going to skim it. Uh, somebody emailed me, I need to at least have a general idea of what they were emailing me about. And then there's going to be some other emails that I'm going to read, and then I'm going to read again, and then I'm going to read again. Same thing with texts or direct messages. Here's the thing, when it comes to the Word of God, how do you treat the Word of God? Do you treat it like Don't even give it a look. Probably not most of us, right? Sadly, I think a lot of us, they'll fall in kind of the second category where we, we, we skim it. Like, I got, got the life journal, or there's a reading plan, or whatever it may be. I'm going to read it, but it's just, it's a quick skim. If we're going to stay anchored to Jesus, we've got to read and heed the Word of God. One of the reasons in the Life Journal why I have chosen to do one chapter a day instead of how the original Life Journal was, was written so that people would read through the Bible in a year. I have nothing against reading through the Bible in a year. 
But what I want more for people is to actually read the Bible and then heed what it says. And I personally think that when you have a lot of chapters to read, the tendency for most people, not everyone, but the tendency for most people is to just kind of look at it as a checkbox. And so we skim, but we don't really read it to heed it. And I want us to, to really savor God's word, to really take it in. And so that's why I've chosen one chapter a day to read. But it's also why we have the observation and the application. Like, we want to really read it. We want to really seek to understand it, but not just seek to, to, to know what it says and understand what it says, but then to apply what it says, to, to read it and then to heed it, to, to apply what it says. We go back to verse 1. We must pay the most careful attention to what we have heard. That's why we, we don't just read it, we heed it. We read and we heed the Word of God because there's a warning here, right? There's a warning. Much like, and I referenced it earlier, there's a, another warning that kind of goes along with this that was brought to my attention this week. It was in a, a Zoom call with some other pastors and a, a pastor friend of mine that hadn't been in the group for a while rejoined our group, special invitation, and uh, was asked to kind of just share an update and then share a, a lesson, and a great devotional lesson. And he, he shared of a time several years ago in his ministry when he was in the Grand Rapids area, and there was a, a pastor in Grand Rapids at a church called Calvary Church by the name of Ed Dobson. And, and Calvary Church was a, a mega church, uh, I think is still is today, but uh, was really doing a lot of awesome things for the kingdom of God back then. And he ended up getting a, a lunch appointment with this pastor that he had looked up to. And, and so he like, took his notebook and he's like, I've got some questions for you. And like, young pastor, and like, how do you, how do, you do this? How did, how did this happen? And like, how, how did you grow your church? And, and, and just to see what God has, has done through your ministry, like, what, what are the secrets? What's the secret sauce? He said, Pastor Dobson ended up giving him three things. He says, preach the word, love the people, and guard your heart. So my friend wrote those down, and then he started to press in and ask him a little bit more, like, preach the word, tell me a little bit more about that. How, how do you do that? Love the people. Okay, talk to me a little bit more. What, what about that? But then we camped out on the last one, guard your heart. In Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And my friend Chad went on to explain how the idea of guard means that a couple things. One, there's something valuable. You, you guard what is valuable, but you also guard what is vulnerable. But then he went on to explain how we oftentimes think of guard and you think of like putting up a fence, right? Like keeping things out. And that's certainly important. And we look at avoiding the drift. There are things that we need to look to 
actually avoid. But then my friend likened it to a garden, and he's in Wisconsin. And Wisconsin is similar uh, in a lot of ways to us. They have a lot of deer. And so if you have a garden in Wisconsin, you typically have a, a fence that goes around your garden to keep the deer from coming in to, to get it. So you're guarding what you, what you value and what is vulnerable. But that's not the only way you get a good garden, is it, gardeners? It's not just what you keep out, it's what you put into it, right? You, you've got you've to feed it, you've got to make sure that it's watered and, and all of that, fertilized, whatever. There's different things that go into it. it and so this idea of not just protecting, but feeding, providing. And that's why it's so important that we read and heed the Word of God. As we get into God's Word, it, it tells us what we need to avoid. But it also encourages us. It also feeds us. And so when we, we read and heed, heeding is applying. It's, it's not always not doing something, but it's helping us to see God's love. It's helping us to see what God wants us to do. So we read and heed the word of God. Verse 2, for the message, or for since the message spoken through angels is binding in every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? So here's the second way that we help to avoid the drift, that we hold on to the anchor. Reflect on and celebrate God's goodness to you regularly. One of the reasons why I think it's important for us to take communion regularly is that it can help us to avoid the drift. It's an encouragement to reflect on and celebrate God's goodness to us. It's a reminder of his grace, that we didn't earn it, we don't deserve it, he paid the price. It was grace, amazing grace. I think one of the reasons that Jesus gave us communion as a sacrament is because Jesus knows our tendency, our temptation to drift. And so Jesus, when he gave the Last Supper to the disciples, and I even used the word this morning, and Jesus says, do this in what? Remembrance. And it's easy to think of the opposite of remembrance, to forget. But just like in physical health, I don't think most people forget like what it is needed to be healthy. Like when you go into the doctor and the doctor says, yeah, you need to lose weight, so you need to eat better, you need to watch your diet, and you need to exercise. And you go, yeah, I already knew that, right? It wasn't that you forgot it. When you drift in a relationship, it's not so much that you forgot your spouse, that you ignored them. You ignored their desires. You, you ignored what they said they need so that they can flourish. You ignored 
what they asked of you and how you talk to them or don't talk to them. You ignored what they said about how they would like finances to be handled as a couple. It's not that we forget how to be physically healthy. It's that we ignore it. It's not that we forget our spouse. It's that we ignore them. And so the writer of the Hebrews encourages us to not ignore so great a salvation. So my encouragement to you today, if you don't want to drift, if you want to avoid the drift, reflect on and celebrate God's goodness to you regularly. Avoid the drift. One of the ways that has been helpful to me is by listening to worship music. By hearing the words, being reminded of God's goodness to me through song. That helps me to stay anchored in Jesus. He goes, we go back. This salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Here he's pointing to those that witnessed the teaching of Jesus and could confirm his resurrection. So, so basically the disciples, the apostles, we've heard it from them, right? It introduces, though, the next important key in avoiding the drift in something that the, the writer the, to the Hebrews will pick up on several chapters later in chapter 10. But he'll expand on it more then, but I want to go ahead and look at it now. A third way that we are able to help to avoid the drift is to listen to the testimony of others. Listen to the testimony of, e- of others. It's so much easier to drift when you're all alone. So much easier to drift when you're all alone. That's why later on in chapter 10, he would write these words. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. You know what encourages me? When I hear the testimony of others, when when I hear what God is doing in other people's lives, that, that just, that ignites something in me. That encourages me. That helps me to stay anchored in Jesus. We haven't done this in a long time, but it's about time. Who has a testimony today? Who, who can say, this is what God has done in my life recently? And I just want to praise him. Anybody? I'm going to call on Gerald. Because Gerald and Robin were talking this morning and basically said, by the grace of God, they're here today. Is that pretty close to what I heard? So would one of you gentlemen, and I'm going to call on Gerald since he's been here longer. Sort of. What happened yesterday?
God's grace. Okay. God is good. And all the time, God is good. We, we need to hear from one another what God is doing. One of the things that I appreciate about our time in Sunday school class is that we're able to hear how has God answered prayer? We, we pray, and that's important. But I think it's just as important to hear how has God been answering prayer. And sometimes it may not even be the prayer that we knew that we had been praying. We hadn't prayed. I didn't pray. Nobody else had prayed. Lord, please help Robin and Gerald to not have a fireball blow up in their face and burn them badly. But people have prayed for them in class. Okay? We need to listen to the testimony of others. It helps to ignite and continue our faith, helps us to keep anchored in Christ. Verse 4, God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Last one, look for the fingerprints of God. God is working in your life. The Hebrew writer knew that it can be easy to get caught up in what's going wrong and get discouraged, right? He's writing to a bunch of people that are under persecution. And when people get discouraged, that's often when they begin to drift. It happens in other areas of life. For instance, if I said, physically, I need to make some changes. I'm not going to eat Rocky Road ice cream anymore. I'm going to start running a mile a day, and I'm going to do 100 push-ups. If I said I'm going to do that, and I started doing that, I don't eat Rocky Road ice cream, I, walk, or I run a mile a day, and I do 100 push-ups, and after a little while, I see no results, what's going to happen? I'm going to get discouraged, and I'm likely going to stop. Some of you know that story, right? And it happens in different areas of our life, and it can happen spiritually. And, and so the writer to the Hebrews is basically saying, let's, let's pump the brakes. You may not see what God is doing right now because what you're seeing is the persecution. But there are fingerprints of God around you. Pay attention. Look for them. And so he points back to what God has done. And clear testimony, reminders of what God had done. It says, look at the fingerprints of God. So I'm not going to ask you, I'm not going to call on anybody else. Thank you, Gerald, for sharing, even if you did have to get prodded. I'm not going to prod anybody else, but I do want you to think of how... How are you seeing the fingerprints of God in your own life? And you may not be able to see it right now, but would you take some time later on this afternoon and really look, I mean look, for the fingerprints of God? We say God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. Here's the thing. Something else that my friend Chad shared in our Zoom call 
is that he had a phrase that he used in ministry, and he said he probably had said it over a thousand times to other people. Something along the lines of, there's never been a day that you weren't loved. And he said, I believed that for everybody else except for myself. And you could see it on the screen as we all went busted. Whether it's something along that phrase or something else where we've believed it for other people, we've said, yes, this is true for them, but we've doubted it for ourselves. And the same can be said for God is good all the time. And like, yeah, I believe that God is good all the time for you. But I'm not seeing his fingerprints right now. Let, let me just encourage you, look a little deeper. Because I promise you, they're there. Look for the fingerprints of God. We're going to close our service today uh, with a new song. I'd like to give you more kind of a heads up and, and play the song several weeks ahead of time and let you become familiarized with it. And, and sometimes maybe not as long, but I know that it's one that at least some of you have been able to hear on Christian radio. I don't know that this one's been on Christian radio. I, I was doing a little searching and happened to come across this. I'm like, ooh, this, this song is just too good to not sing this week. It fits too well to what we're talking about. And some of you love the old hymns. This isn't an old hymn, but it's, it's a hymn. Same structure as the old hymns. And after today, you might, you might find that you love it even more than some of the old hymns. Verse 1 says, Christ, the sure and steady anchor in the fury of the storm, when the winds of doubt blow through me and my sails have all been torn. In the suffering and the sorrow, when my sinking hopes are few, I will hold fast to the anchor. It shall never be removed. And closes with this chorus. Christ, the shore of our salvation, ever faithful, ever true, we will hold fast to the anchor. It shall never be removed be removed. Would you stand if you're able? Father, we cling to the anchor, the anchor of Jesus Christ, our only hope, steady and sure. Lord, help us to avoid the drift, to put into practice what we've heard today. But above all else, May we know that we know that we know that Jesus is the anchor. I pray this in and for your name. Amen.